All right, Chris. I promise I won't. Well, I promise I won't promise any more basketball-specific podcast. FSU's zero and two after I promise them uh, hoops. So, so no more of that. All right. Well, let's see. You promise one before UNC and one before they played the Zags in the tournament. So, I don't think it's you. I think it's them. It's always someone else's fault. It's never mine. So, hey guys, welcome to the Knowles Twenty Four Seven Podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, joined right now by Chris Nee. We'll have Josh Newberg with us a little bit later to talk recruiting, and he was at the Adidas 7-on-7 National Championship this weekend in Tampa. Um, but for now, Chris and I are going to do basically like a post-mortem on, on hoops and, and what was a really special season that obviously ended a little bit earlier than, than FSU would have liked, but still a really special team and a special season. We'll do also about five minutes or so on spring football and kind of kind of recap where we are with that heading into the, the week of the actual spring game. So, um uh, before we get going and before Chris and I kind of unwrap the, the hoop season here, remember to uh, to like and subscribe and rate and all that good stuff on, on iTunes. Our podcast continues to grow, and it's because you guys are are doing doing that. You're subscribing, you're listening, you're providing input, and, and that all helps. So thank you for doing that. We're going to continue to keep trying to expand the podcast and keep doing cool things with it and get the quality better, and, and it keeps growing slowly but surely, and thank you for your patience and your support. So Anyways, Chris, let's uh, let's get into it. Hoops. Uh, they, they made a run into the Sweet 16 for second year in a row. Season ended against Gonzaga, 72-58 loss, and, and really a game that Gonzaga Gonzaga controlled for the majority of the contest. FSU got it within four, what, with, with four minutes left? but Yeah, and then pretty much couldn't score down the stretch, especially after Trent got dinged up and left the game again. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Yeah, and, it was, I mean... The NCAA tournament is such a wild animal because it's such a one-off deal. You know, FSU truthfully was a much better team this year than last year. They made it further last year than they did this year. I think that kind of speaks out of tournament. As you look at the Final Four and how many people predicted, you know, one of those four, let alone all four of those four, I think it kind of speaks to how difficult it is to go into tournament and just keep winning games. It's about matchups. It's about playing well each given night. And FSU didn't play very well against the Zags. I mean, they, you know, they shot poorly from the field. They got beat up on the boards to some degree. They had a lot of turnovers. A lot of their warts kind of came to play all at the same time, which is something that's somewhat an issue. But it's a one-game issue. I don't look at their season as, oh, man, they only made the Sweet 16. I think that's a poor way to view a season. I think the season is the – how did they get to that point in time and why did they get there and did they deserve to be there? And I think the answer to all those questions is uh, no doubt a yes, that they deserve to be there. They were of quality of a top 16, top eight type team. They went 29 and eight, winning a school record amount of games. They played for an ACC championship, you know, outside of one bad week in January when they started conference play one and four, which included bad losses at Pitt and at Boston College. There's really not a loss that they suffered on the season to a team where you can't kind of dismiss it as, well, that's just a really damn good team that they lost to. And they also beat a lot of really good teams. You know, they beat Purdue. They beat LSU, two teams that made tournament runs of their own. They beat many teams that won or played for conference championships. And they beat Virginia. It was an excellent – yeah, they beat Virginia, um, who was one of those teams that caused them to start one and four and who they played very poorly against in that first instance. But they showed their growth. You, you don't win the amount of ACC games they did in a stretch without being a really good basketball team. And, I, I you know, looking back on the team, what was the best part about it? 
it's a group. It's not about one superstar. Terrence Mann was certainly the captain of the ship. He's got it kept things in order. He kept the locker room in a certain mentality. But at the end of the day, there were plenty of games where Terrence wasn't a great player for them. He usually was a stat stuffer, but there were games where he wasn't the reason they won the game. You know, it was a guy like Trent Forrest or, you know, Raekwon Gray had a game where he stepped up, which Murray State is one I'm referencing with him. Chris Kamaji played better in the back half of the season. Mfiondu Kabengale, Fee, as we like to call him, was probably yeah, the best player of the all season. Devin Vassell is a guy, an excellent freshman, who had a few games where he really stepped up. They had nine different leading scores, and it wasn't a fluke. That's how they were constructed, and it worked out very well for them. It, it was a fun year. It's an excellent year for what they're trying to build. I think it shows that the program's achieved some level of consistency now over a two-year stretch that I think will permeate into next year, even though there's going to be a decent amount of roster overhaul. All right, two two programming notes real quick before we uh, get back into basketball. One, Chris has some lunar landing stuff going on with the reception, but not as bad as the one time. Um, so uh, there's nothing we can do. It's raining in Tallahassee right now, and then sometimes that makes the uh, the Wi-Fi connection in one of our respective houses wonky. So uh, as long as it's not too bad, but there may be a little bit of a... Which I think makes Chris sound better. The other thing too is if you hear classical music in the background, I try to turn it down low, but it's supposed to be calming for my dog. And my <laughs> my dog is riddled with anxiety right now. He's got some some issues going on. And believe it or not, my dog has anxiety just like his his owner. If if that's uh, if that's shocking. So yeah, those are the programming notes. So let's get back let's get back to this hoop. And, and Chris, you talked about the team being enjoyable to cover, um, being enjoyable to watch. You've covered a lot of basketball teams in your time here. Um, you've covered a lot of different sports in general. Where does this one rank in terms of just likability? It seems like it won over. Uh, they were my favorite one. That I've, they're they're the best team that I've covered at FSU, both in the sense of winning games and in the sense of I just enjoyed covering those guys. You know, David Nichols, we've spoken about how he was kind of rough around the edges and he brought a bit of an edge to the team. But I even appreciated that. I think that team needed a guy of that sort. And David was always good in interviews. He was very direct, gave good answers. You know, I never had an issue with him personally. He just was a little gruff on the court. And I think he was that way with his teammates and with opposition. Um, I think very highly of Terrence Mann. I think Terrence is a very quality person who's an excellent basketball player. If you saw him leave the gap in the line for Phil Cover before the game with the Zags, yeah, it's just a nice personal touch. Terrence is a genuine kid who was raised very well by his mother. Um, you know, you can tell he's a kid that was raised in the basketball habitat. His mother's a coach, for those that don't know that fact. And you can just tell he kind of lives that. Trent Forrest is a great dude. He's a guy that leaves on a court. I don't think people understand how banged up he was all year with that toe. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing where if, you know, he stubbed it or somebody stepped on it, it would kill him. It would hurt so badly. But he never complained about it. He just kept on playing. Fee's got that emotional investment that I love watching play out on the court. Um, he's got a little bit of crazy to him, which is a good thing. He brings it. He plays his butt off. And then they had enough attitude and enough, you know, glue guys pieces that were really fun to watch. Uh, Turk and Devin. Turk is Raekwon Gray. Devin Passell are two young guys that are going to be really fun to watch going forward. I think they've got a lot of nice pieces, but it was a fun bunch. I like the coaching staff. I think highly of them. They work their backsides off. They do an excellent job of prepping for opponents. Actually, what they tried to do against the Zags, I don't think was a poor game plan. I think it was more a matter of 
you're you're playing one of the best offensive teams in the country and you just didn't play very well offensively. You got to kind of keep up at the same time as playing them well. Um, yeah, sometimes so, you make your shots and sometimes you don't. FSU was three of twenty from beyond and, the arc. Gonzaga was seven of nineteen, and that's that's the game people, in a nutshell. People like to complain about Leonard sometimes and say that he doesn't say much, and yet a lot of things he says are very canned. But he flat out said ACC. after that game. We, yeah, yeah, exactly. But he did say after the game, he goes, we've had a tendency in some instances this year not to shoot well, and tonight was one of those nights. And it wasn't bull. It was him shooting straight. And I, I think that team is an image of the group of men that lead them in that locker room, both with the veteran leadership of the team, of the Terrence Manns and the Phil Kofers, and of the coaching staff. You know, it was C.Y., Dennis, Stan, Leonard, and the people beyond that group. I think it very much it reflects that, and it was a very good thing. I think it's built a culture that should continue over, even though it's losing a guy like Terrence Mann, who was so pivotal to that culture. I I think we you mentioned Ham and his persona. Like I think we got to see more of Ham this year too, from the outside looking in. This isn't someone who covers a team daily like you do, um, but but during the tournament run, it's like we got to see a little bit more of Ham's personality. I think that was a reflection of correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but of him being comfortable with this team and, and liking this group. Uh, so I think we, we, we saw more of him, which was, which was cool to see because he's, he's awesome off record. He's one of my favorite coaches to interact with when, when he's not concerned about what people are going to be digesting with what he says. The thing I like about him is he doesn't just take what you say to him and redispose of it in a different manner, like a lot of people will do, where they just give you a response to whatever you're asking. Right. If him if him disagrees with what you're asking, <laughs> he's going to kind of say it straight. He'll let you know. And yeah. I actually appreciate that. I'd much rather get the actual answer than just get an answer. Um, but no, him was comfortable with this bunch. He he kind of openly spoke about them needing to show maturity in January going into February. It was around the time they were getting ready to go on the road at Miami when they started the streak of putting together wins in the ACC. And he said they need to show maturity. And for him to kind of be that outspoken about a team that directly says a lot about what he thought of that team. He's not – he's one of those that will usually kind of keep it in-house if he thinks it needs to stay in-house. He doesn't talk about injuries a whole lot this year. He was much more open with injuries. He doesn't talk about suspensions. That's never going to change in his career. But he was very direct and willing to talk about this team and kind of lay them out there for everybody to see because I think he believed in what they could be in the end, which is sort of what we saw with the Murray State game where they kind of put it all together. And he was he was a happy father after the Murray State game of – I told you these guys can be really good, and they did it. They put it together. They played that way first. But no, nah, Ham's great. People people think Ham is boring, and yes, he is on every quarter at times. And, you know, he doesn't exactly, like, invoke an emotional response a lot of time with a lot of ways he acts on the sideline or the things he says in those short pressers. But you get in front of him and just talk hoops or just talk about things in general – He's awesome. I, I love talking to that dude. He loves music. I'm a big music guy. We randomly have some really weird music conversations. It's enjoyable as can be. Ham's got a ton of personality that I hope with the fact that he's now reached a 17-year mark of being here with some real good stability here on the back end that he lets it permeate and come out more because I don't think he's going to be around that much longer. You know, I, while he looks like he's aging backwards, he is getting up the years. And at some point, I'm sure he's going to want to go do something else, which doesn't involve waking up every day to coach basketball. You know, he really does enjoy doing that every day. He's been here for 17 years. 
Yep, that make you feel old. Um, I mean, he's like older than both your kids combined, like, and then double it. That's yeah. crazy. Or he's been here longer than that. That's crazy. Um, all right, so we look towards the future Porter, now, Porter, Chris. Your math there was awful. Your my kids doubled would be like twenty eight years old, but it's okay. It's not a math quiz. <clears throat> no one else. No one. No one ever had to know that, Chris. You could have just let it go. Just let you know. <laughs> Stick to all right. Writing. All right, we're ba- ba- back to basketball. Uh, definitely gone. Phil Kofer, Terrence yep. Mann, Chris Kumaji, David Nichols. Am I PJ missing Savoy. anyone? PJ hmm? Savoy. PJ Savoy. Yeah. All right, so I mean that's that's significant. That's a nucleus for a team that's yeah. re- really well rounded. And, and let's start with Terrence Mann. I mean that's kind of the the glue guy, the heart and soul of this team. The I think the re- his personality rubbed off on this team as much as any player that we've seen in recent history of, of any program. Maybe like. Not to the same extent, but it was like a Jameis Winston-esque type of type of that his personality and his fingerprints were all over the way this team played. Uh, yeah. Obviously not the same level of success, but but that kind of leader, that kind of persona. I look to how do they replace what they're losing. And with Terrence, it's personality plus play. I think Trent Forrest has a lot of that makeup to him. I think we've already seen that from Trent. I think Trent is going to be comfortable kind of stepping into that, that role of being the dude. Um, so I don't worry about Terrence so much. With David Nichols, he was a real nice steadying force, a backup guard who kind of brought it in there and calmed things down. You know, I think the staff kind of hopes Anthony Polite can develop into that. Anthony's got a way to go. I think Devin Vassell brings some of that to the table. He's kind of a cold-blooded killer, jump shooter. You know, I feel pretty comfortable with what he's going to bring to the table to replace that. With P.J. Savoy, you know, they'll look to recruiting to kind of replace that. In that case, it's going to be Nathaniel Jack, Nate Jack, who they're bringing in from the Duke ranks. He's kind of their next three-point specialist that they're bringing in. With Kumaji, um, you know, it's going to be Balsa Kopravica, who they're bringing in, the Hema Cloud, two seven-footers. So they're looking again to the younger ranks to replace that. Fee obviously steps into that primary post role next year. And then with Kofer, Malik Osborne, who's been with the team this whole year after transferring in from Rice, is a guy who I think has some similar skill set pieces, some similar athletic pieces as Phil. And I think they think he will kind of slide into that role and help to allow that. Now, the difference, while we're talking about a lot of good talent coming in and moving into those roles, the difference is that those roles were developed over four or five years in the Phil Kofer situation, five years, Terrence Mann, four years where they kind of became known for what they were, that doesn't just happen overnight. I think Trent Farris is a guy that has that natural, you know, one year to the next elevating what he is. But it, it's a question mark of who will be the other guy. And with David Nichols, I think he had the exact right personality for a one-year plug-in to kind of handle that. I don't know that they have another guy like that. They could go and still look at the JUCO ranks. Or look at transfer market. There's already, I think, over 500 kids in the transfer market for hoops this year. And they could try to find one guy of that sort to fill that role. Um, and then the other addition that I haven't brought up is Patrick Williams, who I think is the best player in their entire recruiting class. And Patrick Williams is Terrence Mann in the sense of being able to do a lot of things really well and stat stuff. And he's also got leadership qualities. So I think in all in all, the talent of the roster might actually be better next year, but the experience factor will be far less. All right. And one other guy, well, he was the star of FSU's you know, first weekend and some of the announcers kept talking about when they did decide to actually talk about FSU, and that and that's uh, Fee. He was 
he kind of stole the show. I think he showed himself to be a really, really good potential pro prospect. Uh, and that's something that people who followed FSU hoops this year, I think have known is, is how especially is coming off the bench and his diverse skill set. Um, but, but you started hearing a little bit of some, some NBA draft uh, murmurs with him. I don't know if that's what's on the radar, Chris, but is that something now FSU has to kind of, kind of work with is to see if, if he is possible, someone who, who could work himself into being a, a first round pick if, if he did come out. Well, I went to feet after the loss to Gonzaga and I asked him directly, you know, how are you going to handle that? And he essentially said, not time or the place, which I agreed with, but I still had to ask it anyways. But he mm-hmm. said, at some point, I'm going to have to have a conversation about that. That conversation is going to involve both of his parents who are very heavily involved in his life. I presume his uncle, who's Dukembe Matambo, for those that somehow don't know that. And then, of course, the coaching staff. And I think that conversation is going to be a pretty simple and direct one of you should come back because there are things you need to develop in, both emotional maturity and physical maturity on the court. And I think school is very important to his parents from everything I've ever been told about his situation over the past year, as this has become a topic that you kind of got to keep at, you know, arm's reach. I don't think Fee goes pro. Do I think it's out of the question? No. I mean, certainly the kid's plenty talented, but here's two things I know. One, he's, he's not close to a ceiling yet in the college game. He can be better. He can be better on a more consistent basis. He can kind of project himself more on a national audience than he has. I mean, Jay Billis is out here calling him a first-round pick, but he's also, I think, using the word eventually, which I think is kind of a correct way of stating this with Fee. Can Fee be a first-round pick? Yes. Is he today? I don't know. I probably would draft him if I was an NBA GM in the first round, but I really like the kid. I've also sat and watched him play 37 games this year, a lot last year, and I watched his development before he ever touched the court for FSU. But I don't think he goes pro. I expect him back. I think it will be beneficial for, obviously, FSU to have him back, but also for him to come back. I think another year of development, another year of understanding how to play the game in a more controlled manner where he doesn't pick up dumb fouls, another year of developing himself as a defensive weapon at all three levels, especially on the perimeter, I think will go a long, long way to strengthening his case of being a top NBA prospect. And the other thing I know about this year's NBA draft, mainly because FSU played nine of the top 10 picks that people are projecting, is that a lot of that first like 15 is very much locked in. And obviously we're going to see a ton of talent pour into the NBA draft this year. So, you know, guaranteed contracts are those first 30, what, how many teams in the NBA these days? 30, 32? 30. 30. So it's those first 30 picks. So 15 are very locked in. You're fighting for 15 spots. Make sure you get that guaranteed contract. Now, you can get a guaranteed contract in the second round. Dwayne Bacon was able to pull that off. But it's not a guarantee that you get the guarantee. So stick with what's the guarantee. All so, right. in my well, opinion, very elegant I'll be back. I, I don't want to dismiss the notion that he could go. But I would put the percentage fairly low that he would go. All right. Now that you've said that, that means he's definitely going now. That's how that works, right? <laughs> Maybe before you even get this podcast up today. Oh, good. You're good. All right. So I think that's everything for hoops. Any final thoughts there with the postmortem before we move on to a few other topics? Uh, one guy I didn't talk about was MJ Walker. MJ Walker is immensely talented, but he's also infuriating. And I don't mean that as a slide at the young man. He just is ultra inconsistent with being a good basketball player. 
he needs the light to come on this offseason. He can be a huge piece to the puzzle next year. Him, Trent Furrows, Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, they can have a nice, real heavy top-level scoring punch with those type guys and Fee if he's coming back, where they can be another high-level ACC team next year. But MJ Walker, he's two years into this. He's a much better defender. He's certainly more engaged in the game. Now it's a matter of him taking the next step and becoming the basketball player he was recruited to be and that he wants to be and that if he's able to be, he will be in the NBA discussion, but he has to do it. And there were way too many instances this year where he finished poorly at the rim, bad shot selection, just kind of went into dumps and in games. And then there were some games where he was very good, where he flashed, but those were too, too few far between. He needs to find more consistency with his offensive game and elevate himself as a player. All right. So this is um, that'll be it for for basketball for probably a little while, Chris. I know you're you're sad that the hoops is over and they won't be able to hijack the podcast anymore with uh, with hoops. I random I randomly venture into the basketball training center at random times in the off season. Find a guy working out, or it'll be having it. Or I'll just hang out with the coaches. I I hoops never leave. It's a twelve month sport for this guy. All right, baseball. And I'm going to spend 20 seconds tops at it because they started a season 12 and 0. They're now 18 and 9. Uh, just lost a home series to Boston College. Not a whole lot to go over there, Chris. I'll give you 30 seconds of baseball talk. Uh, it reminds me of 2017 when they were playing really poorly, and then they kind of pulled that out at the end of the year when they beat Louisville and won the ACC tournament. But right now they're playing bad baseball. They're striking out a lot, not getting a lot of hits, not a lot of extra base hits. Fielding has been poor, and the pitching's been dreadful. They need Drew Parrish to figure it out on Friday, or they need to figure out who can be their Friday guy, and they need their middle relief to be better. You can't be throwing eight pitchers against Boston College on a Friday and then expect to win the series. And there's no reason on earth why you should be throwing eight pitchers against BC on a Friday. It's just... They're playing really poor baseball right now, and it's top to bottom. It's coaching, it's players, it's everybody involved with that program, and they just kind of need to figure it out. It's baseball slumps happen for a team, but this one's pretty dreadful, and FSU's played an easier front end of the ACC schedule than they'll play back end of the ACC schedule, so they need to figure things out, and they need to do it quickly. Miami's this upcoming weekend. Both of those teams are very, very mediocre. The one that comes out of that one feeling a little better about themselves probably has a better back half of the season. Uh, that was more than 30 seconds, but that's fine. That was that was nicely done. All right. Spring <laughs> spring football. Uh, FSU had its second scrimmage of the spring on Saturday. That's close to the media, so we can only go with what we've what we've heard. And uh, I think the main takeaways that it sounds like from what's been the consistent message coming out is that defense looked better. I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing at this point. You want the defense to look good. That uh, means the, the offense the, isn't looking good, though. Well, that's Here's what I'll say is it, it sounded like the offense was getting the better of the defense probably too often in the beginning of the spring. And that to me is always concerning about the defense, especially when the offense is what, what it was last year. Uh, that's not a good, a good look for when you're talking about like installing a brand new offense, essentially or not brand new, but a new offense with a new coordinator uh, with similar schemes. It's not good when, when the offense is getting success on a consistent basis, at this part of the the off season, that's just that's not ideal for for where the defense is. You need the defense to be the better of the two units at this stage in the game. So the fact that they're starting to kind of figure it out a little bit, and I think 
they're doing some new things on defense as well, uh, scheme wise. But but I think that's probably probably more what you're looking for. Um, Coach Tagger did say that that the guys were going back and forth a little bit in the second scrimmage, where where the offense would sputter and then then find a way to kind of rebound. And that's been a a consistent theme with like James Blackman. We've talked about that before on the podcast, Chris. Is that James has done a much better job rebounding uh, and getting out of that that proverbial uh, quicksand when when he struggles. That's something that he had an issue with his first year. Uh, or two on campus. So I guess that's one of the main takeaways. We've heard Julian McCray is apparently a badass. Uh, that, that's that been consistent. I'll, I'll kick it off to you there, Chris, to talk a little bit about the defense, the linebackers, and, and Julian McCray specifically. Well, we're seeing a little bit more 3-4 looks, and there's talk of 3-4, and the way they were practicing when we were out there last Wednesday definitely lent itself to them four linebackers. I think Julian McCray is a big reason for the willingness to go to that also the deficiencies at defensive end I think kind of play into that I think it's playing to a strength while hiding a weakness um Jaleel McCray is a kid that's ready to play day one he he's mentally engaged into the game he's physically prepared to do it IMG always helps kind of prepare a guy for that obviously you play freshman they're gonna make some freshman mistakes but that's a position where the talent just wasn't good and that's a guy who's talented so get him out there and get him playing it's been a big help um, I think it's helped Dontavious Jackson a good bit. I think moving camps has kind of helped solidify star. So I think linebackers as a whole is now not necessarily a strength, but certainly not a weakness. It was 12 months ago when they got here. Um, the defense as a whole, I think, is kind of found their way. I think they understand what they're trying to do, what they're trying to accomplish, who they are, how not to have the major screw-ups that they had so often last year. I think that's still happening here and there. We heard Willie reference that there were a few big plays the defense got to correct, but I don't think it's near as often as was a concern as of last year. Defensive end is still a position that I've got to wait and see attitude with, but talking to a couple of players, a couple of recruits that were here in recent days, a uh, lot of Kando talk, which is obviously welcomed. He's a guy that I think we all think is very talented, but needs to put it together on the field. So I think that's a big thing with defense. You're right about uh, Coach Taggart referencing that black man in the offense and it really going to tank when they struggled, that he did a good job rebounding. But with the offense, I, you know, I consistently hear that Terry's performing well and Akers has looked better. But after that, it's very rare that I'm hearing the same comment about the same guy repetitively throughout the spring. So I'm just taking a very – like that, that offense, you got a new system. You still got a relatively low level talent offensive line. You got a lot of pieces to figure out. You got a lot of young guys at receiver. You know, I, I'm just, I'm not buying into anything with offense. Like it, yeah, it needs to be done. There's still that's a lot of questions. That's not being pessimistic. It's me trying to guard myself from being optimistic. The offense you don't want to be hurt to again. Show that they can be, <laughs> yeah. The offense needs to show that they can do what Kendall Browse wants to line them up and do. Um, the one thing I did take away from Taggart's comments yesterday, I intended to ask him, but somebody prior to me asked the question that got a similar answer I was looking for, was basically has implementation went well? And it sounded as though, yes, that is the case. Execution isn't necessarily there yet, but that's to be expected. 12 practices isn't doing something different. So that's sort of where I am with it. I think they have an idea of the concepts. 
now it's a matter of executing the concepts. But I think last year there was a point where the concepts pivoted and changed. You can't have that. You can't change on the fly with a team that doesn't have enough guys that can kind of handle that in the moment. You need something that's going to be consistent from the first day of spring to when you're wrapping up preparation for Florida at the end of the regular season. I think they have that now with Browns. So for me, that's a glimmer of hope with the offense is that they know what they're working towards. Now it's just a matter of players becoming playmakers and making plays. And we know a few of those guys that are of that sort. And there's other guys that have a flash here and there. Jordan Young's a name that we've heard mentioned. Um, DJ Matthews is a name that I've heard mentioned fairly regularly on par with like Tamorian Terry, who we know is very good. But there needs to be more, more and more. And it needs to be a building constant of development of depth and ability to put out a lot of playmakers to run a lot of plays and create a lot of plays and produce an offense that they want to be a five to 600 yard offense. And, you know, I'm just not buying that 12 practices into doing this, that they're anywhere near there. I don't think they are. I think Saturday will be sloppy offensively, but I think there will be flashes of they can do something like the ideas that they're trying to execute. All right. So I, I want to continue talking about spring ball, but I think we're going to hold it off for maybe another podcast later in the week to do kind of like a preview thing for the, for the spring game. Uh, we'll do a preview episode about what we're looking for in the actual game. Hopefully we have rosters to kind of see uh, who's you know, matchups, that kind of stuff at that point. And, and we'll also do a, uh, a little bit of a recruiting uh, update as well, because it's the last junior day of, of spring, uh, the, the third of the third of three. So We'll we'll do that. And plus, Chris, your lunar land, landing sound is getting uh, getting progressively worse here throughout the episode. So I want to cut that off too. Unfortunately, I'm gonna I'm gonna eject you. It's like Apollo 13. I'm leaving you. Uh, I'm leaving you on the moon. I don't think that's how that ends. I haven't seen that movie before. You need to get out more. Yeah, exactly. You're, you, you're all right. Chris. I think that's <laughs> me talking in that case. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off. Um, it's not your fault. It's not you. All right. Bye, Chris. Thanks for joining me. Uh, we'll be back in a minute afterward from, well, our, our sponsors, or at least for now, our, our, our fellow podcasters. And uh, Josh will be joining me in a second. Bye, Christopher. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve dollars and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back to the second part of the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Uh, I got Josh Newberg with me, and he is not talking from uh, from uh, from the moon right now. Josh, welcome, and uh, I'm happy to have some clear audio. Yeah, I'm a professional pro- podcaster, Brendan, and podcaster. we all know the number one thing is, uh, as a professional podcaster, is you want to be heard. So you know I got this down. 
Yeah, that's that's but, true. Yeah. The uh, the whole point of the medium is to be able to to be heard. So that that is a helpful ingredient in it. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting, uh, actually almost exclusively about recruiting. You were at the Adidas Seven on Seven National Championship this past weekend in Tampa. Uh, you've been doing a lot of seven on sevens lately. This is like old school Newberg. But but before we get into that, uh, there was a little bit of news that just dropped that got a quick reaction to. I don't think we have anything like crazy, crazy, crazy opinions on this. But but I'm it's cool. I'm excited about it. I think it makes a lot of sense. And that's that Florida State has uh, has agreed to a home and home with Georgia. That's right. The University of Georgia, Florida State going to be playing home and home. It's not going to be some stupid neutral site game. I think we're all sick of. It's going to be 2027 in Tallahassee. 2028 in Athens. I, I don't know if I'll be doing this job by then. I don't know if Chris Knee will be alive. Josh, I, it's a little bit of a ways away, but it's it's cool, and I think it's something for fans to be excited about. A trip to Athens is going to be badass, and and obviously uh, being able to host uh, Georgia in, at Doak is going to be really cool as well. Yeah, I hope to be at both games. Um, 2027, I will not be doing this job. Um, I hope to be alive, and it would be... Um, It'd be a blast to to go to both of these games. I love that they're doing it in the home stadiums. I think that's awesome. Um, and I think this is one step closer to what we all want, which is a matchup with Texas A&M, right? Like we're, we're putting our foot in the door with the SEC and Ooh. we'll schedule. But we want but we want Texas A&M before 2027. The Karen Key Largo Bowl. Yeah, I don't know if Jimbo will be there in 2027. We'll see. Sure. Yeah. I mean, who knows where we'll all be, but yeah. If Jimbo I, is there in 2027, good. that means they would have won a national championship, right? I think at that point, because I can't imagine there's going to be a whole lot of tolerance for, <laughs> for losing in, in a few years down the road. That's so. true. But anytime you can stack the schedule like that with an exciting game, um, especially with the proximity, these two programs don't play enough. Now that this thing's scheduled, I mean, let's think about it. They, they don't play enough. I'd like to see FSU mix it up with Auburn too. I think, you know, um, as we move further and further away from the national championship, I think that's a, that'd be a fun game for everybody to revisit. Yeah, because they have the LSU game and I can't remember when that is, but that's a neutral site game and that's a damn shame. And to be able to have FSU and, and LSU at, at Doak and then, and then in death Valley, uh, and mm-hmm. home and home would, would have been so cool. So I'm, I'm happy to see that there's going to be the home and home with Georgia. And, and I think maybe that this administration has currently comprised kind of sees the value in, in the branding of, of continuing to make FSU a national brand by, by should, having home games yeah. at Doak. And they you know, we saw attendance this past year wasn't great. What was that? They should, they should capitalize on, on, you know, we, we, we know that season tickets are, are going to be in a downturn. Um, we know just across the board, people in general aren't going to sporting events like they used to. And when it comes to scheduling, I think that's where the difference is between being able to put people in the seats and not. I mean, imagine if FSU were, and I know it's not just, you know, you can't just click your fingers and make it happen. But imagine over the next four or five years, if FSU had, um, you know, LSU, uh, maybe Texas A&M, maybe go try to schedule Oregon, like try to make these matchups that people want to see and, and try to get them done. I know it's not that easy, but um I think that's going to be the move to get people in the seats, scheduling games people want to see. Yeah, I like the idea of moving away from the neutral site games for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of, you know, it was cool. It was cool initially when they did the, uh, you know, I thought I thought playing down in Orlando was neat with Ole Miss. Like, that made sense. Uh, and then, obviously, the Alabama uh, opener in Atlanta. Just, I, I think at the point Miss people are kind of, what? Would playing Ole Miss in Orlando make sense if you rooted for Ole Miss? 
No, but you don't care. I mean, this is an FSU <laughs> podcast. Know. I don't I don't care about Ole Miss at all. I'm um, just saying neutral site games screw, you know, somebody's screwed no matter what. How about a neutral site game in, in, in Jacksonville against Boise State to start the season? I think that's kind of what we're looking at, too, is is the timing of this release uh, right before the spring game. I don't think we're expecting the attendance to be great for the spring game. I think they're scrambling to try to try to get that that up. It's certainly not going to be what it was last year with, in year one with Willie Taggart, and that may be kind of an indication of, of where season ticket sales are not right now because there's not a whole lot of buzz with this program. That's kind of the the nature of, of consecutive mediocre seasons, regardless of the reasons why uh, it's not a great home slate. And so, yeah, start building up buzz. I don't think it makes a huge difference right now, but, but the long term is that you want to have marquee games at Doe Campbell stadium. That's I think what, what's going to bring people to, to home games is, is having the experience and not just for one big game, but you, you make it a habit to keep coming out to Doke. And that's something that's been missing the last couple of years, in my opinion. So Anyways, enough schedule talk. We want to talk about recruiting. You got to see Florida State quarterback Jeff Sims in person, what, the last two weekends in a row, Josh? Talk about old school Newberg. Um, and know. over the last eight days, I've spent four of them on a seven-on-seven field. So, And you were in Tallahassee weekend, recently too, right, for recruiting? I was in Tallahassee two weekends in a row. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's cool. I was uh, – I was at IMG last weekend, spent two days, Saturday and Sunday down there watching Jeff Sims. <laughs> and then the Adidas National Championship, which was in L.A. last year in Las Vegas the year before, um, that that was in Tampa this year. So I was back on the field Saturday and Sunday. It was a good tournament. Um, man, does Adidas hook these kids up. I, they got so much stuff. And seven-on-sevens really deteriorated into um, – we were talking, I think 90% of the kids that arrive at seven on seven are there to collect the year and compete second. Um, I'm convinced that if the gear that they gave out, I mean, it's unbelievable what they give these kids. If they didn't give out what they give out, I don't think half these top kids would even show up, let alone participate. So, um, shout out to Adidas for, uh, for keeping seven and seven alive year, 10 years in 11 years in now. Um, we'll see how long this sticks around, but it was a good tournament. It was well run. The fields were great. Um, the way that it set up was on Saturday, everybody plays three pool games and that's it. And then on Sunday they play two more in the morning and then right about noon, um, began the double elimination tournament. And I think there's a total of 32 teams, maybe 35 teams there. Um, a lot of, a lot of talent, a couple teams from Florida, of course, couple teams from LA, a team from Washington, and then, you know, everywhere in between. So well-represented, got to see a lot of good talent, got to see a lot of uh, kids that don't necessarily face each other all the time. And I, I'm sure everybody wants to hear about Jeff Sims, right? Yeah, no one cares about the the field or how the tournament's set up. I think literally that's all people want to hear about is how Jeff Sims looked. And, and based on your video clips, he looked damn good. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody's shot more or watched more Jeff Sims this offseason than I have. Now You're that Jeff I've, Sims expert now. I know, now that I've been to two consecutive. And I literally just stand behind him on every throw. So I'm like, I feel like I've been there with Jeff Sims every step of the way. You need to um, tell his uh, his coordinator or whoever to get out of the way on those shots, too. He's always perpetually in the way. That's actually Gerard Ross. So I, I you can tell Gerard Ross to get out of the way. I'm not going to tell Gerard Ross. I know. No, I don't think I will. <laughs> um yeah so sims was spectacular as i said um 
we talked about them a little bit on the website. So I'll just reiterate kind of what I've, what I've already said. Um, I think what sets him apart is his size and athleticism, his ability. I know this sounds cliche, but he can literally make all the throws. But the thing with Jeff Sims is sometimes um, maybe his footwork or his mechanics aren't always correct, but he can bail himself out with that cannon that he has. And his arm strength, his arm strength is what impressed me most. Um, The ability to get the ball out quickly and to corners of the field that most quarterbacks can't reach it was what you know really made him stand out. I thought Sims, I thought Sims at times struggled a bit, but overall was probably in the top five of quarterbacks at the event, and they had some really good ones. Um, you know, Carson Beck was one of the guys that we talked about a lot. Five star Bryce, uh, what's his last name? Bryce Young out of California. He was there. He looked awesome. Um, Heward out of Washington was another one that really stood out. But anybody that watched a Jeff Sims game was impressed with him. I, I spoke with people uh, within our company, like Steve Wilfong, Andrew Ivins, Luke Stampini, um, even you know Rob Cassidy with Rivals was there, and and he he told me you know hey every time I watch Sims you know it's one of, he's one of the most entertaining quarterbacks here. Um, now. I put out all the highlights, of course. Um, I'm not going to necessarily tweet out bad throws from Jeff Sims or interceptions, but there was the flip side of the coin. And, and, and Sims, like a lot of young quarterbacks, needs to work on his consistency, um, his reads. Um, a lot of the times he was, a lot of the time he was in rhythm, and he was virtually unstoppable. But the second day, you kind of saw some of the maybe maybe some of the uh, chinks in his armor and. I thought at times he just couldn't get it going. And, and then when he would get frustrated, you know, he, he wasn't as vocal as he, he was when he was rolling and, and the receivers were frustrating him and he was kind of letting some stuff get to him and it, and it got him out of sync. It got him out of rhythm. Um, you could see him and Gerard Ross were frustrated, the play caller at times, but um, overall great performance. Um, Jeff Sims does it all on the field and off the field, a pleasure to interview, a pleasure to talk to always with a smile on his face. You know, even though these guys are competing, um, he's chirping at the other team, they're back at him, but afterwards, you know, it's all hugs and he keeps it moving and he understands the bigger picture of what he's doing there and which is to get better and to, to, to help him, um, see the field better, to help him get in groove with his wide receivers. And, um, he just, he's out there enjoying himself. So it was, it was fun to watch him all weekend. I think that's one thing to keep in mind with Jeff Sims is that he's still he has further to go to reach his ceiling than a lot of other quarterbacks in this class, a lot of other top ranked quarterbacks. Um, he's still so very much so a work in progress, more so than than most, even with the sliding scale of being a prep a prep quarterback prospect. But it, it sounds like Josh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but every time you've seen him, every time we've there's incremental growth in his game that that keeps emerging in the offseason, whether it's getting a little bit bigger, bulking up some, whether it's being a little bit more crisp and, and accurate as a passer. Uh, you, like you said, there's still weaknesses in his game, but it seems like you're seeing the progression that you want from a from a top ranked quarterback like him. Sure. And I just enjoyed being out there and being able to watch him. I enjoy watching him struggle, too. You know, he doesn't snap at Gerard Ross like, yeah, they him and his O.C. have conversations, but he's not turning his back to him or he's not disrespecting him. And, um, it was good to see when, you know, when they did get knocked out of the tournament, I mean, Sims was still there high five and his teammates and letting them know like, Hey, you know, it's all right, my bad. 
Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't his fault, but just as a quarterback and leader, he was kind of taking the, taking the responsibility. And, and like I said, he was telling them, you know, it's all about getting better and he understands the bigger picture and he's, he's letting his teammates know that. So even I enjoyed even watching that part of, uh, Jeff Sims and seeing how he reacts and getting to know what type of leader he's going to be. Um, and you can lead in different ways. We've, we've talked about this on the podcast as well. So just watching Jeff Sims, like you said, grow, um, whether it be adding weight or as a leader or on the field has been one of the highlights of the spring for sure. And that probably hints at another strength of his, uh, that charisma, that personality, the, the competitiveness that you mentioned that, that, in theory, should make him a pretty good recruiter for Florida State. And I know we've talked about that before mm-hmm. as being a, an extra part of the value of having Jeff Sims in the in the fold at this point of the offseason. Now, that's a benefit, and that's something that Florida State hasn't had the past couple yeah. cycles is that kind of bell cow at the position. No need to rehash all that. but Well, we're going to rehash it um, right, because go I'm going to have an article on that today. So we don't have to rehash <laughs> it on the podcast. But I, do, I did talk to Jeff on Sunday. Um, a little bit about his time with EJ Williams when he was on campus with him on Wednesday, last Wednesday. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about that and it'll be up on the site later today. So you guys can read it. All right. We'll look out for that. And, and that was going to be a transition, Josh, to other guys who were there. Uh, mm-hmm. Was Jeff Sims in anyone else's ear? Is there anyone else on the radar you think for Florida state that he was speaking to, or just someone who popped out to you at all um, throughout the event that, that needs to be on the radar for Florida state? Yeah, there weren't a ton of FSU targets. I mean, there was there was more than at the IMG Regional because this is a national tournament, so there was more. But I'd still say of guys that FSU is heavily involved with, you know, there was less than ten, um, maybe maybe around six or seven total guys. So just to run through real quick, you know, I talked to wide receiver Jakai Douglas. That was a bit of a surprise. I was around the Houston Fast team, and Jakai is from Louisiana. And, um, somebody told me, Hey, this, you know, Jakai over here is going to visit FSU, um, for the spring game. So I went over and talked to him and he told me that Dugans has really been in touch with him since he arrived. Um, he reached out one during this first week. And shortly after that, the two of them, he said, have really been in contact almost every day, every other day talking and Dugans invited him two weeks ago to come to the spring game. So he's going to make it over with his family. He's a five foot nine slot, um, four, He's a four-star prospect. He's got big-time offers. I know he's got a uh, visit scheduled with A&M. LSU's involved with him. Um, I think he went to a Alabama junior day. So he's he's a big-time wide receiver that'll be in be in town on Saturday with his family. Um, got to see Malachi Weidman. Of course, that was an exciting one. I wrote a story on him on Knowles 24-7 yesterday that details his recruitment. And it still feels like things are really young for him um, in terms of where he's at in his recruitment. I think Auburn, UCF, and FSU. He told me he told me F- UF is one of the primary teams, but he said they don't talk to him a whole lot. Um, so the the thing with Weidman that I saw was he's still very raw. So I can understand why teams are kind of kind of slow to go all in on him. Um, while he's raw as a as a receiver. He is an elite athlete. I mean, there's no doubt about it. His 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 length, his speed, his quickness, it translates to both football and basketball. He's a very highly touted basketball prospect that's playing both sports right now and um, was busy with AAU basketball and came straight from there to the football field. And I, from hearing his teammates talk, it sounds like that's kind of his life. Like, 
Um, he's always going from one sport to the next and he performs at a high level. The, the, I watched a couple games. I only saw him with one catch. The first game I watched, he didn't have any catches. Um, but you can see the athleticism there. So he tells me he's going to be back up on campus, uh, this weekend. Doesn't sound like he's in any rush to decide. He said he's definitely going to play basketball and football at the next level. Um, great kid, big smile, uh, fun to talk to. Seems like he has a really good relationship with Coach Taggart and Coach Woody. Um, he, he knows that they're both from the same area as he comes from, and um, he's excited to get up there and meet Coach Dugans. Um, oh, five-star linebacker Savelle Smalls. Oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, let's get to him real quick, knock that out. Um, I'm not going to say FSU's out of it for Savelle Smalls because he didn't tell me that, but they're definitely um, fading. I asked him, you know, if he's coming in for the spring game and he goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, with seven on seven and everything, it's just been hectic. And I said, do you think you're going to get back up there? And he said, yeah, June or July. He's like, I'm not sure yet. And I said, okay, have you, you know, been in contact with FSU? He said he has been. And I asked him who he talks to and he said, Coach Taggart and couldn't remember the other coach's name. That's never a good Uh-oh. sign when uh, when a rec- re- recruit can't pull the name out of the air. So you wouldn't we, be talking we, to DK. Um, I mean, he, I said who you know. He yeah, said he didn't. Willie Taggart, and then just couldn't come up with the other name. So Maybe he just didn't want to talk to you, Josh, and he was being being evasive. It definitely sounds like FSU needs to get him on campus ASAP. Unfortunately. I'm willing to bet it's not going to be till July. I mean, yes, they do have camps in June, but they're probably going to want to get him. If he's only going to take one trip to FSU, which that's what it looks like right now, then they'd probably want him for their Friday or Saturday night live, um, which is, I think, July 27th, somewhere in that range right now. So we kind of know what it looks like when you're in good shape for for a number one player like this. Um, we saw it with Kayvon Thibodeau. We know that Kayvon Thibodeau came in for the spring game. He came back for the summer. Um, he locked in an official visit. And Savelle Smalls is kind of doing that with Florida right now. He came in for the spring. Um, he came out of that visit. He told me straight up the only official visit he knows that's locked in is going to be Florida. Um, he said the other four, you know, he'll figure out, but that's the one that he has locked in. So you can already feel it. And if Savelle Smalls makes it back to FSU on July 27th, you don't think he's going to make a trip down to Florida as well. Um, So that'll probably be Florida's second visit. So this is going to be determined whether or not FSU can get back in with, one, the summer visit, and two, how they play in the season. Um, Smalls still talks to Treshawn Harrison, uh, their former teammates, but that's not in itself going to be enough to get the number one outside linebacker in America to commit to Florida state. They're going to have to do it on the field. The question is, you know, is that going to be too late in his recruitment? Um, we'll just have to see. But as of now, I would kind of put Savelle Smalls on your back burner. If uh, for those scoring at home, those that got the recruiting board up on the wall, uh, move Savelle Smalls down a couple slots. FSU's not out, but they're, you know, they're kind of in an arm's reach right now. Do you think any of our listeners have actual recruiting boards? <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, got to be someone, right? Uh, I, I do this. Okay, uh, here, I, you wanted to know a guy. Here, I'll just throw you one name I think FSU um, needs to turn the heat up on. I know they, right. they've offered on his profile, but I don't know actually if they've really kept up with him. But there's a receiver out of Mulberry High School named Arian Smith. I think Mulberry is what, Polk County? 
Pat, Polk County? Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's Polk County, but it's not a school that really produces a ton. It's kind of out, out on the outskirts. Um, I've heard of a couple offensive linemen coming out of there. But what Aries, was the school again? I was not listening all the way, Josh. Uh, Mulberry High School. Mulberry is, and yeah, my friend lives in Mulberry. It's in Polk County. It's right by Lakeland. Okay, so it's by Lakeland. Okay, right. Um, Arian Smith, he's a six foot one, you know, probably 175, 180 pound wide receiver, and he can fly. Um, absolutely fly. Hurdy runs about a, a 10, 400 in track and he, that, that speed translates, um, good hands. He's, he's being recruited by Texas A&M, Auburn. Um, he has an FSU UF offers, but I don't think the in-state programs are really recruiting him that hard. I know Maryland's going all in on him right now. Um, so I think he's a guy that, you know, FSU definitely wants to keep warm and probably get up to camp. I really liked him. Um, Marcus Fleming and Brian Robinson from South Fort Express. They were really good. Brian Robinson told me he's coming up this week uh, for the spring game. He's committed to Miami, as is Fleming. Um, Fleming is not coming up this week. I know FSU's trying to gain traction with him. He's a he's a five foot nine and a half slot receiver that can can really move. Um, and then two twenty twenty one guys, both out of the Tampa area. Mario Williams of Plant City, who FSU's on and Ajay Hall of Armwood. Um, Ajay Hall might be the best wide receiver in the state for next year. He might be one of the best in the country for next year. Um, Ajay Hall was, um, I, he plays for Team Tampa, so I, I've seen a good bit of him. I think he's, he's probably better than Warren Thompson is right now. Um, very similar styles of play, but I think he's just, he's, he's put together a little bit a little bit more than uh, Warren Thompson was, especially the, the fact that Ajay Hall just turned 16 years old. So um, he's about six foot three, 190 pounds, and is really turning heads and is going to be one of the highest recruited kids out of the state next year. All right. That's, uh, that's good stuff. It's like and I know I what you're talking I'm about. I'm working on confirming whether or not he's coming up this weekend. I believe he's coming to Florida State. Anna Hickey has um, him on the Clemson visitor list so i'm just trying to uh i should get word back i I know who's taking him i should get word back today or tomorrow on whether a jai hall is coming up and i think arian smith might be coming to florida state as well this weekend with that in mind we're looking to have a podcast probably on thursday with josh myself and chris uh to to do one of two things one preview the spring game uh talk about matchups that kind of stuff and then two what josh is alluding to which is getting a getting a more firm list of the of the expected visitors for the spring game slash uh, junior day. Like I said earlier in the pod, that's uh, junior day number three of three this spring. So we will work on getting that podcast up yeah, we don't later wanna. in the week, probably about Thursday, maybe Friday. Yeah. Uh, and Josh and Chris will work on actually getting names confirmed. I will do almost none of that. Yeah, we're just in – this is the – a lot of kids in and out over the next 48 hours. Um I'm tracking like eight or 12 kids that I'm waiting on to tell me um, to go ahead to put them on the list. I know knee has a few Blostein has a few. So the visitor list is um, by Thursday or Friday, we should have much better grip on who will actually be there, but it, it's looking good so far. And I'm not expecting any subtractions, only additions between now and then. All right. Good stuff. Uh, Josh, thanks for joining me and breaking down what you saw this weekend. Uh, 
very active spring for you on the recruiting trail. I like it. I like the hustle. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll do it for the podcast. Anything else? No, I'll be up in Tallahassee this weekend and then maybe that'll be like four or five weeks in a row on the road. So I'll be up in Tallahassee, but it'll be fun. I'll see you guys up there. Yeah. Let's do lunch. How about that? All right. All, <laughs> All right, right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. Thanks for putting up with the first part of the podcast with Chris talking all the way in uh, in Mars or wherever he was. Josh, thanks for saving us with some crystal clear audio. Remember, five-star review on iTunes, like, subscribe, whatever it is. It all helps. Uh, it takes like about 30 seconds to do it on your, on your phone uh, if you have an iPhone. So, again, it, it really does help us. So, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for putting up with our shenanigans, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later this week.